do have shoulder pain that just doesn't seem to be getting better no matter what you are doing, then this is definitely the podcast you want to listen to because some of the things I'm going to say may shock you, but at least we are making the invisible visible. Thanks for listening. I'm Michelle Thompson. Welcome to Everything is About Your Health, the podcast. I believe one of the most important things you can do for yourself is to be open-minded to learn, to learn about different professions out there in the world that links to your health, either directly and indirectly. For instance, I operate a manual osteopathy and cold laser clinic in Sudbury, Ontario, Canada. For those not familiar with manual osteopathy, it takes a holistic, whole-body approach to healthcare. It uses manual, hands-on techniques to improve all aspects of the body, including the skeleton, joints, muscles, nerves, circulation, connected tissue, as well as organs. Internal functions like metabolism, respiration, and reproduction can also be improved without the use of drugs. Here at Heat Therapy, Holistically Elite Active Therapy, we utilize BioFlex cold laser units to help accelerate healing on a cellular level. It is a light-based technology proven to be highly effective in the treatment of musculoskeletal problems and wound healing. We have had many success stories with this technology. People have avoided surgeries, reduced and eliminated medication, and reduced or eliminated all sorts of pain. So please, join us on this journey as we interview all sorts of professions and how they link to your health, either directly and indirectly. Today, we're going to go into detail of why your shoulder may not be getting better. And honestly, I wish there was just one simple answer or reasoning as to why that could be. But by the end of this podcast, you're going to understand and develop an appreciation for how complex the shoulder really is. And when you actually understand these complexities to um, obviously like a very general extent, so you don't get too narrow minded into one area. But once you have an overall idea of what comprises the shoulder, A, you like first off, you're just completely taken aback because a lot of people just think, you know, the shoulder joint is just the glenohumeral joint when in fact there's a lot of other things going on. But two, you're going to understand that sometimes your issue at the shoulder actually is coming from somewhere else. So if I'm going to give you a really quick overview of what we're going to be doing. So in terms of the shoulder, we have to understand when you go in to get assessed, we have to understand what the muscle firing patterns are like. And this includes force couples between your different muscles. And guys, I'm going to go into detail about what this is after. We're going to go into are your muscles actually weak or are there stability issues or overexcitation of the mechanoreceptors in the ligaments and capsules in your GH, which is, you know, therefore causing overexcitation of the muscles to therefore over protect the joint and therefore impact and limit your range of motion. 
Do you have your accessory glides of all your four joints that comprise the shoulder? Again, I'm going to go into detail of what accessory glides are. Is there tension within your nerves that is actually limiting your range of motion? Is there blood flow issues that are affecting your muscles? Are there bursa issues? Do you have neck stiffness, thoracic spine stiffness? And last but not least, is there any fascial tightness or restrictions that are impacting these structures? All right, so let's start from the beginning. We're going back to muscle firing patterns in forced couples. So a really, really neat example that helps to explain what forced couples are, because you know it's not like uh, Beyonce and, and her husband there. I remember being in class and one of my classmates just said under his breath, oh, yeah, you know, Beyonce and, and her husband, they're a forced couple. No, no, no. <laughs> a forced couple in the therapeutic medical world is two or more muscles that contract simultaneously to cancel out their own individual movements, but to create one pure movement, typically rotation. So if you were to sit in a pool in a little tube, right, you're floating, you're floating in the tube. If you push one way with your left arm in the opposite direction with your right arm, so back with your left, forward with your right, you are going to be creating a rotation to the left. Right. If you push forward with your left, back with your right, then now you're going to be creating a rotation to your right. So you're pushing forward and backwards, but this forward and backwards motion are canceling out and then performing a rotational movement. And this is what happens at the shoulder. So when you get assessed, typically what a therapist should be doing is they should be checking the co-contraction of your upper fiber traps and your lower fiber traps and your serratus anterior, which should happen flawlessly with upward rotation of that shoulder blade to perform a nice motion called abduction, abduction, abduction. Another force couple comprised of the deltoid and rotator cuff. So what the rotator cuff do essentially is they're like almost like dynamic ligaments. They help to stabilize, to help to rotate that um, humerus. They help to depress and glide the humerus in that little socket that attaches right into that scapula that part. So when you're lifting your arm again up to that abduction, the deltoid is contracting and these rotator cuff are simultaneously contracting to create a nice pure upward motion. Now, what happens when your arm should lower now? That is known as downward rotation. Well, in this case, the levator scapulae muscle, the rhomboids and the pec minor should all co-contract in a way that they're canceling out their movements to create a pure downward rotation. So right off the bat, when we're checking these ranges of motion of the shoulder and you don't have them, then that's when we dive deeper into um, saying, okay, can the therapist possibly bring you through these ranges? And if not, then that's when we can explore more of the mobility issue. 
And if we can, then that's when we go and say, okay, maybe we have to go more of the, there's a stability issue. So that's when we're getting into weak muscles and all that sort of stuff. So now we just branched off into, is there a mobility issue? So that's when we actually have a problem bringing the arm through those full ranges. Or do we have a stability problem, which is there's no issue when the therapist is bringing your arm through it. So if we hang on the side of mobility for a second, then that's when we have to assess those four main joints of the shoulder. So if you haven't listened to my podcast in the past, the four main shoulders, the joint is comprised of is one, the most popular one, which is comprised of that humerus, right? Which is that arm bone where the deltoid attaches onto and the shoulder blade. So that is what that joint is comprised of. Then there's the AC joint, which is the part of the scapula, the acromion, which attaches into the collarbone, acromioclavicular. Collarbone is also known as the clavicle. Then we have the SC joint, which is where the collarbone merges into the part of the sternum. And then a lot of people forget about this joint, but we also have the scapula on top of the rib cage and how that glides because that main purpose of that rib cage is to keep the shoulder blade in a nice line a line of motion so that the arm can perform its movements so there's different ways we can go in there to manually test each joint right so we now have to check four joints to see okay is there an issue at the shoulder blade is there an issue at either end of the collarbone? Is there an issue with the glides of the GH joint? So now that we assess the mobility, if um, there was no mobility issue and we said, oh, there's a stability issue, then we have to go th through and test the musculature. Um, but it's not that you don't check the musculature even if there is mobility issues. Um, but in this particular case, checking muscles is even, even more of importance because you're trying to understand, okay, what muscles are overactive? What muscles are underactive? What muscles are not even contracting at all potentially? And what muscles um, are just to the point that it's interrupting the whole entire mechanism and are actually firing inappropriately to what they should be doing in the first place. Then at that point, it's understanding, okay, so why is this occurring? And so you go and you assess, was there any surgeries? Was there any traumas? Was there, was there, was there? And you dig deep, dig deep, dig deep, dig deep, because a lot of people are just astonished to understand or find out how their lower back could be relating to their shoulder engine. I'll give you a really quick example that happened to one of my clients. So he came in with shoulder issue and we're treating, we're treating, and he would feel great by the end of the treatment. He would come back a few weeks later and it'd be the same issue. So after that happens, what I do as a therapist, as I start to dig deeper into what else could the issue be? right? So, okay, we assess these things. What didn't we assess yet that can impact the shoulder? So we have to think, okay, the lower back affects the shoulder via the mobility issues that the lumbar spine can have, but also the direct attachment of the latissimus dorsi muscle, which extends basically from like the tailbone and that thoracolumbar fascia in the back and attaches into that top of that hip bone. Um, so the iliacus. So if you feel like the pointy part 
starts in the front of your hip and you follow back the iliac crest, that is where that muscle goes and it will go and extend up to attach to that bottom corner of the shoulder blade and will even go and attach into the humerus as well. And so, and even the bottom rib cage, uh, um, like the bottom ribs as well. So now we have to say, okay, has there been any issues with the ribs that could be now affecting the shoulder blade? Has there been any issues with the lower back that could be checking uh, the shoulder blade? In my client's case, he had both. There was issues. He actually fractured his rib in hockey on the one, on the one side, his, his left side, as well as he had... Um, issues of lower back in the past, which wasn't bothering him anymore because the shoulder pain was that much more of an issue for him. And so once assessing that, we realized, wow, your lower back and rib mechanics and breathing mechanics could be improved. Let's assess this, mobilize this a little bit deeper and correct these issues here and reconvene in a few weeks. Well, he had the most lasting improvements since he started to come to see me. So then we started venturing down the more, a little more, a little more, a little more. So now you can start to understand, wow, in this particular case, the issue at the shoulder definitely wasn't just at the shoulder. That was now a secondary and even tertiary issue that was happening lower down the chain in this man's case and as a lower rib and iliacus anonymous bone area. So um, at that point, again, as I said, weak muscles, stability issues, whatnot, whatnot, after you test the strength, the weakness, all that, if there's weaknesses, there's inappropriate firing patterns, then there would be specific therapeutic exercises that would be prescribed to said person to help stabilize a shoulder blade again, or to help with breathing mechanics, to help with rib mobilization, to help with upper back mobilization to help with neck mobilization, okay? Because those can also impact the area as well, right? Think of the close relation the shoulder has to that thoracic spine, to that neck, to even the lungs, believe it or not. Um, the list can go on and on and on. Now, let's even speak about the deeper structures, the ligaments, because there can be problems at the ligaments, right? Maybe this person had history of frozen shoulder, which is known as adhesive capsulitis, or maybe you yourself, right? And what that essentially is as the hardening, for lack of better terminology, where the capsule now does, is no longer an elastic sort of joint or not joint it is no longer ha um, has elastic properties and it's now more hard dense so you start to lose that range of motion okay so sometimes that can affect people's performance of their shoulder range of motion after if they didn't get the proper therapy or if they just opted to get no therapy at all and just tough it out for one to four years yes i did say four years um so at that point, we have to say, okay, uh, that could be an option. Was there any dislocate, like history of dislocations in the actual GH, in the AC joint, in the SC joint? Do you have a history of rib dislocations, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? 
So now you can really start to see the complexity here, right? It wasn't just speaking at the shoulder. It wasn't just this. We really try to understand and assess to understand what is going on with the client. And that is why I love it so much. It's because it's the detective work that goes into assessing each person. Because I can tell you, I can work for 12 hours a day and say I treat 12 shoulders because I see my clients for about an hour each. And every single shoulder, it's going to be completely different. And that's what I love about it. There's no repetition. It's individual and unique to every single individual because throughout life, we all go through different forces, right? Some people were in motor vehicle accidents. Some people had traumatic births as a baby. Some people have histories of bad concussions. Some people have multiple issues with their lower back. They could have core stabilization issues. They could have fractured something in their arm that, you know, the list can go on and on and on. So uh, going back to those ligaments, right, we have in the ligaments different types of receptors, and one of which is mechanoreceptors, which you can think of as little messengers in these ligaments. Basically, what they're responsible for is to detect length and stretch and compression within the joints or the ligaments. Okay, so if there's any type of issue that they detect, so say like really fast movement that stretches out the arms, well then these are going to be firing like crazy to notify the muscles to tense right up to protect the shoulder joint from potential injury and dislocation. Now, if there's major compression, say your dog was running and the leash happened to be wrapped around you and it just took your feet from under and you smashed your arm right on the sidewalk and there, your muscles would have fired at that point. And as you were falling in the air, your body would have naturally tensed up anyways for the um just the bracing for the impact basically, right? So that is an attempt to protect and minimize the damage that would have occurred otherwise. But sometimes what can happen is the joint becomes so traumatized from said experience that these mechanoreceptors are excessively firing and inappropriately firing, which is sending stress signals to the surrounding musculature and causing them to inappropriately fire which therefore affects the force couples that I was speaking to earlier. And then it's about working with exercises and real different types of release techniques to help the client overcome that. Because I've had clients who think stretching is really good and not that stretching isn't good. But in some clients' case, it's actually better to strengthen muscles as opposed to stretching out muscles because that was actually stressing out the joint even more, causing even more firing of the receptors within the joints and the surrounding ligaments to fire and contract the muscles into protective spasm even more. So in that's a very long-winded of saying stretching actually caused more tightness versus if they would have just uh, worked on contracting and strengthening the right musculature that would have relaxed the musculature they were trying to stretch within the beginning. So a really easy explanation of this, of how that works, because that's called reflex inhibition. So basically, if you were to pick up a dumbbell and you were to do a bicep curl. The reason why I'm using that example, everybody knows what a bicep curl is basically. 
Okay, if not, you're living under a rock, message me and we'll go into detail. <laughs> so basically, you do a bicep curl. Well, what happens is your bicep and your arm contracts. So the tricep muscle, which is the opposite muscle to that, has to relax or else it's going to get injured. So this is an automatic response that the body has in the body reflex inhibition right inhibit so if you contract the bicep the tricep relaxes so it doesn't get injured so now if you're trying to stretch the pecs for example okay and you're stretching you're stretching you're stretching but that um is just causing more tightness and actually more tension in your shoulder what you should be doing is actually doing contractions and squeezing your shoulder blades together imagining like the shape of a v in your back trying to pull your shoulder blades take down and together to get those rhomboids and the lower maybe middle fiber of traps firing and you can even get lats in there as well to help that over contraction of the pack the pecs to calm down and therefore release the muscular tension because the body doesn't have a choice but to release this overactive pec. So now let's talk about accessory movements. So we're about halfway there, guys, almost done. So accessory movements, what do you think of when you hear that word accessory movements? So excess, right? Excess movement. So basically, this is excess. It's extra to the body. It's not spelled extra, by the way. It's accessory. So A-C-C-E-S-S-O-R-Y. But basically, this is passive to the body, meaning no matter how much you do an active range of motion, if you are missing a passive movement, which comes in the form of a glide, spin, or uh, roll, you are going to, um, like, you won't be able to perform these movements. So very, very simple um, example is if you lift your arm over your head, the main accessory movement that occurs is an inferior glide, otherwise known as a downward glide. So if you think of um, a ball, right? on like a plate, okay? I'm really hoping this example is gonna translate as um, as well in my head uh, um, as it should. Or actually, let's do a, the end of a table, okay? So you have a ball um, close to the edge of the table. So if you have to move the ball upward, it's going to roll up to the edge of the table and if there's nothing to simultaneously pull that ball back so that movement of rotation happens in one spot, then the ball is going to roll off, right? So if it just rolls forward and nothing pulls it back at the same time, it's going to fall off. So now imagine you now have a sheet of paper under the ball. And so you are gliding that sheet of paper and you're pulling it down as somebody else is rotating the ball. Well, now that ball is basically rotating on one spot and not rolling off the edge of the table. So that's essentially what has to happen at the shoulder and any joint really for that matter. There has to be accompanying accessory movements that help the shoulder or the joint stay in place in its respected 
position that still allows it to perform the movement. So what oftentimes these issues and the loss of accessory movements happen because of the trauma that is caused from scar tissue and adhesions that basically impact the proper elasticity properties of the surrounding capsules and ligaments that should allow for these accessory movements or even the stress in the joint. So it's something that a therapist has to manually go in there and perform said glide to help improve that range of motion. And this can actually also be done individually with therapy bands as well if you know what you're doing. But most people, you know, don't really have that knowledge that's why you come to therapists. So at that point, you definitely would want some hands-on therapy with a practitioner who has a very good idea of what mobilizations you need when certain range of motions are restricted, if that is your actual problem. So now let's get into nerve tension, because sometimes that may be a shock to people. What? My nerves could actually be causing my issue? So you don't have to have nerve symptoms for nerves to create an issue. So you don't necessarily just have to have numbness, tingling, or burning for a therapist to check to see if that's impacting your range of motion because lo and behold, there's, you know, again, we all go through different traumas. We play different sports, you know, baseball or football, or, you know, we were gymnasts or acrobats or whatever. And that can sometimes create some tensions that develop in these joints to, and I'm doing air quotes here, to strengthen or stabilize this area. And that can sometimes cause some issues and nerve tensions. Or, you know, in sport, if your arm was just violently brought out to the side because of whatever hit, then you'd create, a, you know, kind of an excessive stretch of the nerves, tension them a little bit. You know, have you ever had um, an impact and all of a sudden there's like that burning type of sensation that happens well that is to do with nerves so sometimes as these issues heal scar tissue will lay in that's a common factor after an inflammation scar tissue developed that's why at my clinic heat therapy we rely heavily on the bioflex cold laser as well because if it's applied fast enough it will actually help to minimize the amount of scar tissue that is placed greatly in the area which therefore just helps to speed up recovery and limit the amount of rehab time after an injury so checking the different nerves there's three main nerves your radial nerve your ulnar nerve and your median nerve and there's different patterns and ranges of motion and tensions that you would put this patient through or yourself through to understand whether or not that is actually impacting the shoulder range of motion even elbow range of motion and hand range of motion or to get a better understanding of where the tension in the nerve is along its pathway that is creating that uncomfortable sensation or again like I mentioned before limiting that range of motion and you know blood vessels as well there could be such tension that these nerves are impacting blood flow and blood flow is important right and carries nutrients oxygen you kind of need these things right that's important if you don't have oxygen just like a plant um things die you need oxygen to to live to breathe and your tissues are no difference right if you don't have optimum oxygen supply well then your muscles and the cells 
just period in that area aren't going to function properly. You need oxygen to create ATP, which is this energy particle that the body relies on to do what it needs to do to move, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So blood flow is definitely a huge thing. And that can get restricted on, on different areas, such as the first rib and the pec minor, the scalene. So it's about assessing these areas around the neck, the upper shoulder, and the around the pec area, the pec minor, to take a look to see if that is impacting any areas in the arm that are may not responding correctly because of lack of blood flow right and last but not least we're looking into fascial tightness so fascia i would say even 10 to 15 years ago was not a structure that many therapists were taught about and Therefore, consequently, not a lot of therapists took this into consideration when assessing the joints, but there's actually different lines of fascia. There's deep, there's superficial, there's rotatory, and sometimes through different, um, you know, injuries, these fascial lines can develop tension and therefore impact how the body moves freely how blood flow is distributed, how muscles respond, and the list can go on and on. So again, just like the nerves, there's different ranges of motion that you can bring the shoulder through and the rest of the body for that matter to understand what type of fascial restriction there is, if there is any, which can lead you down a different rabbit hole that you can then later explore. So I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. It's a very long kind of broad and brief explanation that I hope helps you to understand and gives you some different insight on why your shoulder may not be getting better. Because on average, you should notice improvements within three to six treatments. So if there's um, any type of, you know, like basically if you're not uh, seeing improvement within that time period, you definitely have to look elsewhere to understand. And actually a bonus tip here, because one of my clients, this was their issue, there is actually a significant amount of emotional involvement that was highly impacting her tissues that was just manifesting in her shoulder and that actually created the shoulder pain and discomfort because basically along assessment there was no real functional issues she had a lot of pain and then you know consequently it did affect her range of motion a little bit but after inter the interviewing process and understanding um what actually happened basically long story short there was no real force and mechanism of injury but there was a significant amount of stress and emotional stress and a lot of family issues at that time and have been for multiple years prior to and that was creating her shoulder issues so that's another uh, thing that you have to be aware of and maybe consider if all that I said is stuff that you have taken a look at because maybe you haven't explored the emotional aspect of it yet. If you guys have any questions, like always, I leave my email in the description below. Thanks for listening and have a great day.
And that's a wrap for this episode. Thank you for tuning in and listening. Don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast if you found it to be educational and know someone who would benefit. This is Nichelle Thompson on Everything is About Your Health, the podcast.